Hello. Welcome to the film room. This is going to be kind of a strange quasi somewhere between a mini episode and a full episode, and we do those a lot right now. A semi-sode. A semi-sode. But we're going to be talking about something that's kind of important and well worth discussing right now, which is we previously did a cast where we studied the theatrical movie-going experience, and this is going to be kind of an update on that cast because we're going to stop and discuss how much that experience has changed just in the last few years. Whenabouts was that cast? I would I don't know. Yeah, because it feels like we did that towards the beginning. Yeah, it was no later than 2014. So it's it's been a few years. And there's been some pretty seismic shifts in the experience of movie going, and we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the trends, the shifts, and where we see the experience going. And we're doing this, fittingly enough, in August, kind of at the tail end of... The summer blockbusters. At the tail end of a summer blockbuster season, that was kind of hit and miss. You had some hardcore hits. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, Wonder Woman, definitely. Um, Baby Driver. Baby Driver um, did unexpectedly well. Um, Spider-Man Homecoming was a solid uh, performer. And then you had some real underperformers. Strangely enough, this has been a really weak summer for kids' movies. Yeah, you had Despicable Me 3, you had... Which didn't perform to expectations. Yeah, you had, oh yeah, the disaster that is the Emoji movie. Which nobody is happy with. Um, You had Cars 3, which, does anybody even remember that came out? Yeah, I, I remember, I think, like two or three weeks after... It came out, just like, oh yeah, Cars 3, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, was that out already? Yeah, it's been out. Like, what? Yeah, it, yeah. it, it didn't register. The uh, Also, also the sadly uh, not a big performer, but should have done better, Captain Underpants. Yeah. Which deserved way better than it got. That's one that I really hope people discover on video, because I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Very silly, very just goofy and wonderful, and I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of love for that one, but it's, but it was kind of a, it was a mixed bag of a summer. You had some major bombs this summer. Um, King Arthur, the mummy, no one, no one's getting their money back on those cinematic universes. Is anybody surprised that the mummy did not do so well? No, nobody's surprised because it didn't look good in the first place. It, and, and they advertised that thing ridiculously. I mean, it was just, it was I mean, I, you couldn't escape the trailers. Um, yeah, I know. It played, oh god, no. It played at the beginning of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which my niece and nephew were at. And for a seven and nine-year-old, those, that trailer is pretty scary. Yeah. Especially since right after that, they played Alien. Well, that which is way worse. Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. I was sitting next to my niece, my poor niece, and... Uh, she was already freaked out by the mummy trailer. I'm just like, you might want to cover your eyes and ears for this one too, because it's yeah. horrifying. And she did. Though, <laughs> though, in all fairness, the movie that followed still had some moments that were a little. Ooh. What's funny about that is she had no problem with that. Like we we thought she might, because uh, it's like this film has. A, I might have told this story. Like this film has a high death count. Yeah, and we just looked over and she was laughing and having fun. 
It was cartoony. It has a cute little tree creature and uh, yeah, raccoon with a machine gun. Exactly. It's the raccoon with the machine gun that was getting the most hits. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, yes. uh... I, so, I mean, this is this was definitely a mixed bag of a summer. Didn't this summer also have John Wick? That was in February. That was oh, in February. was it? Oh, wow. That's a long time yeah. ago. That's how long yeah. it's been since I've been to the movies, like, by myself. Uh, yeah. Jeez. Because I don't think between that binge and... I swear I saw some... Oh, yeah. And Spider-Man. Yeah. I don't think I saw anything between there. Yeah. Uh, one thing that so one thing one thing that we have to really note is that one of the shockers, uh, Transformers Five didn't perform to expectations. I mean, this was no. really a summer where unless you were safe, you just weren't doing so hot. Um, yeah, and that has a lot of people worried about the state of the theatrical movie going experience. The other thing about that part is that uh, I've seen several articles people of. People like speculating that the superhero bubble is going to burst very soon, and you know because there are a lot of tentpole films, uh, like especially well this summer. Like I think a lot of people kept predicted that the blockbuster bubble would burst because there are a lot of tentpole films, and you can you know the movie going audience can only see so many films. Uh, so if you have if you stake all your money in all your films, then well it's gonna spread out. Yeah, but that's another well, thing. <laughs> I, I'm going to say this right now: the superhero bubble shows no signs of bursting. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Guardians performed huge numbers. Wonder Woman performed huge numbers. Spider Man did solid numbers, um, though it did have a precipitous drop second weekend. Yeah, it's a shame. I, that that has to do, I think, with you know there are at least two or three people I talked to, like including like my sister. Uh, they which they eventually saw Spider Man, I think, but uh, they saw it for Robert Downey Jr. Though, so they're like uh, another Spider Man, which is the thing that hurts it. Yeah, the, the, the that 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 one, the box office is really on Amazing Spider Man too, muting the box office. Uh, give this one, uh, give this one time. It's got wonderful word of mouth, and I think it will wind up having. And it is, I think, the best Spider Man film. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, it's it is so wonderful. Having. Yeah, having access to the greater universe helps it so much. Yeah. So 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 let's get one thing clear right off the bat. One thing that's definitely hurting the theatrical experience is, is of course the fact that crap is being flung at, at viewers. Yeah. That's definitely hurting things. Yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, since Marvel had their universe off the ground, a lot of studios have been wanting to do their own little cinematic universes, which <sighs> Don't, don't. It's, don't. Like, DC, I understand, because they're the competitor, mm -hmm. and they're doing okay -ish. Well, it's, uh, it's logical. It, they're, they're, yeah. they're, it's, it's hit and miss, though. Yeah. I mean, it's, over, I haven't, I've only disliked one of the movies that they've put out so far. Yeah. Really, when you get right down to it, I've only disliked one, uh, Suicide Squad, which was yeah. atrocious. Yeah, which... Was a lot better than I thought it would be, but um, yeah, still. But yeah, there are certain elements that are very problematic. But but anyway, um, yeah, like apparently, like the Mummy was supposed to be like a you know the first one in their series of like shared universe monster movies. Yeah, and well, apparently that's 
you know, Dracula Untold was supposed to be that, but since yes, it, it was, yeah, since it failed, they kind of swept in the rug and went, "What? No, this one is." Yeah, I don't think Universal is going to get that shared universe. No, good. No. I, I think that I think that when you're given that when you're releasing bad movies, you can't be shocked when audiences don't show up. If you're there's no what happened on Pirates of the Caribbean five. Transformers 5. Did that and come out already? The uh, Pirates of the Caribbean one? That came out Memorial Day weekend. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Wow. I do not remember that. You can't be shocked when these movies don't don't matter. You, you can't be shocked by this response. No, that first trailer kind of pissed me off. For, yeah. Uh, because it's like, okay, I know what this is. Like, they, they don't show the name. They only show, mm-hmm. like, the famous pirate skull. And it's, that's one of those moves, like, that's one of those moves that you put on a successful franchise, like, or a franchise that continues to be successful, uh, like, when you don't put the name at front, but you just mm. put, like, the famous thing. It's like, yeah, we know what it is, we just don't care. Yeah, th- and that's that's the thing. You can't be shocked that audiences didn't want to see Baywatch. Yeah. Y- you just, you can't be floored by these movies not performing. So... That's one thing that's really hurting the theatrical experience is, you know, because because there's no denying this is this is probably the darkest time for cinemas that I've ever seen. Yes. However, the things that are doing well, I think we have to look at. And uh, we're going to look at those. Yeah. So before we get into the, the newer additions, let's address one of the old ones that was supposed to be the panacea and fix everything. Let's look at the state of 3D. Um, I think it's a mixed bag for the state of 3D. It boomed in 2009 with uh, Avatar, and like I think that's when it really, really like they've been trying to get off the ground since 2005. Like Chicken, yeah. Chicken Little started off. I was one. I saw that one. I got to start with Monster House. That's that's probably a better one to start with. Actually, much better one. Much better uh, one. Awesome movie. Yeah, Chicken Little had great visuals, but the story was no. Um, yeah. And, like, the, I will say for that one, like, the Deus Ex Machina, like, the huge fucking Deus Ex Machina they put at the end of Ugh. Chicken Little is the exact same one they put at the end of Home, only in Home it made a lot more sense. That's lame. I know. And that and that one, I thought, also was just okay. 2009 Avatar, when James Cameron showed what could be done with 3D... That's when studios went, holy shit, we need to get on this. And they have had mixed success. Um, I feel like at this point, 3D is an option that has its connoisseurs. Mm-hmm. But me, it's, me. Yeah, and I enjoy it too when it, when, uh, when I see a good one. I saw Spider-Man Homecoming in 3D and oh, it looked fantastic. looked amazing. Yeah, Spider-Man is, is one of those characters that was built for 3D. Because he's so kinetic, and it's so much stuff is being flung at you. Got a lot of webs being flung at you in that one. In the in the uh, um, yeah, strangely enough, like you know he you know there's not much of him like web slinging through the city in that no. one. And come to think of it, it's mostly like um, well, better content. But <laughs> yeah, it's better. It's yeah. they, they came up with newer ideas because. Yeah, we've seen the swinging through the city. Instead, we got to see stuff. We got a lot more wall crawling in this one. I we felt did. Like. It's great. But the one, the one scene that really got to me in the 3D was him crawling up the Washington Monument because you could feel the height. 
you know that that scene was just them sitting there and going, wouldn't it be cool if Spider-Man climbed the Washington Monument and someone else going, yeah, let's go for it. Yes. It, and yes, by the way, it is cool to have Spider-Man climbing the Washington Monument. Um, I, but, but I feel like a lot of 3D, it's just kind of slapped on. I've noticed it's still, it's always going to be popular for animated movies. Um, I check Cinema Blend's 3D scores every time. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a case where they give something an unexpectedly high grade, which Spider-Man did have, I don't go. I just don't go. Either that or I get the impression that the people making it actually gave a damn about 3D. Usually, you know, I will say the conversions have gotten much better. Yeah, um, post-conversions. Because Spider-Man was a conversion and Guardians was... Yeah. (laughs) Now, we are going to be getting... uh, Now, Avengers Infinity War is going to be shot with high-grade IMAX cameras, and I think they are native 3D as well. So, yeah, so that'll be cool. Um, Yeah, and I guess... uh... Uh, Inhumans is also going to be shot in IMAX. Oh, that's so cute. I know. Oh my god. I, I know. I'm sorry. I, I have a friend who is desperately excited for it, and I want it to be good for him. Right. But oh my god, that does not... The thought that you're asking people to pay $16 to see that... In a theater? It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, to see basic to see the pilot of a TV show. Mm-hmm. Literally, the pilot of a TV. Um, I have a feeling maybe I, I, this is not going to go beyond eight episodes. I, I can't imagine this will. I think this is going to be one of the most spectacular flops in TV history. Yeah, because it looks expensive. It does look expensive, but it also looks cheap at the same time. So yeah, go figure. True. But uh, so you've got that one that's looming, and I don't have the most hopes for that. Um, speaking of IMAX, they are actually cutting back their 3D showings because people are just not preferring them. IMAX 3D looks like crap. Um, although I will say we did actually see an IMAX 3D film in uh, November, and that looked good, but that was because oh, he, we... Oh, yeah, with Doctor Strange. But that was because we were able to get our seats ideal and, you know, really manage it right. Uh, that one did look really good, and... That one was awesome. That was perfect for three. I, I, that's one of the few uh, Blu-ray releases that I own in 3D, despite not having a 3D player or TV, because I want to see it again in 3D eventually. Because it has really fantastic 3D. It, it, it was actually planned for 3D. It does have really good 3D. So, you know, IMAX. Let's talk a little bit about IMAX. IMAX continues to be a strong option. I don't know, though. The line, the, I do mourn the fact that the semi-IMAX that we've gotten has overtaken the full-size IMAX. You're not getting the classic IMAX anymore. What you're getting is, it's a fraud, basically. Yeah, way back, yeah, that started, like, way back in 20, 2009, 2010, when they started putting, quote-unquote, IMAX theaters in... 2008, for Little Rock. Yeah, uh, back then, almost 10 years ago. Started putting them in, and I remember just talking with Ramon, and he's like, you see the thing with all those fake IMAXs? And it's like, yeah, that sucks. Like, because I have yeah. seen, I have seen real IMAX. I saw, uh, I have too. yeah, I saw Fantasia 2000 in real IMAX. What we're getting is, it's Limax, but, Limax. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. with 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 the ex- with the exception of Doctor Strange, I haven't felt the need to go to an IMAX theater in years, and I only did that because well, it was a special occasion. 
I was hosting a guest in town, and I thought, let's go to the biggest screen possible. I wonder who that could have been. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, wait one second, we gotta... <laughs> Sweet girl. Hello, Lola. Sweet girl. Anyway, uh, so IMAX is one way that, that theaters are trying to make the experience special. Is certainly IMAX screens, you know, increasing the size. Every chain has their own version of a jumbo screen theater. Yeah, which they call for the generic term large format. Yeah. You've got um, RPX for Regal. Um, you've got XD for Cinemark. A few others. Um, the former Rave chain had Rave Extreme, but then they got bought by Cinemark, so they're now all XD. Um, I, I, I like large screens, um, but oftentimes movies are not made for them. So you have huge gaps where you can tell where, you know, I will say I did see Godzilla in an XD screen and it looked amazing. Yeah. I know you went IMAX on that one. I did. Yes, it was great. I, I went IMAX 3D. Yeah. Yeah. If there was ever a character that was built for large screen 3D. Um, so those were the innovations that we're all familiar with. IMAX, 3D, all that. But now theaters are trying some new stuff. Um one of the big ones is increasing the food selection. Yeah. Dine-in theaters? or Yes, dine-in theaters. AMC is doing a lot of that. Uh, Movie Tavern is coming into Little Rock. Mm. Uh, they are a chain that's an outright restaurant chain with uh, dining. And I don't know how I feel about this experience. Let me tell you, I don't honestly know how I feel. Personally, I don't eat when I go to the movies, ever. I know that uh, Alamo does, but Alamo is a whole different... King Caboodle. Like, it's, uh, they've always done that. Mm hmm. Uh, when they moved into Kansas City, like, one of the first things they did was, uh, remodel the theaters into a dining experience. I, personally, I'm of the opinion that if I'm gonna go out to eat, I'm gonna go out to eat. And if I'm gonna go to a movie. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. They like the experience, they like quality food. I don't know. I will certainly, when the movie tavern opens in Little Rock, give it a shot. But I think it's an interesting idea. I think it's an interesting one. Uh, it, it's a way of basically getting people to take their entire experience and put it under one roof. Yeah. You know, all of date night in one moment. Alcohol is increasingly becoming something you're seeing at theaters. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, the theater by me has uh, alcohol served. Yeah. One, one theater that... Um... There's an independent chain, I think it's only you can save, I'm not sure. There are at least two here, called Screenland. And uh they're they're good, they're really good. I haven't been there recently, and I should, because one of them converted into uh an arcade slash theater, and it's called Tapcade. That's cool. I know, and I need to I need to go and experience that sometime. That's really cool. Um and and of course they serve alcohol. It's yeah. a bar oh, slash theater nice. slash, yeah, slash um, arcade. That's cool. That's, that's kind of an all-in-one experience, and that's the thing. A lot of theaters are trying to do that, be an all-in-one experience. Mm -hmm. There are some major changes that are going on right now just in terms of distribution uh, in that dollar theaters are increasingly going away. Bargain theaters are a thing of the past as we know them. I think there's maybe one or two left in Arkansas, period. 
bargain theaters are going away. And part of what's killing them is the shrinking of the theatrical window. Yeah, more often than not, you will get, uh, like, advertisements for, like, the digital release of a film while it's still in theaters. Yeah, like, Guardians of the Galaxy came out first weekend of May. Like, you could pre-order it. It can. You can pick it up for on digital next Tuesday. Yeah. That's that's not a that's not a long window there. The typical window, like the smallest the window can be, is three months. And any more, that's the absolute longest. Like as soon as that three month window is up, they they're like doors open. Yeah, the earliest memory uh, I have of like for contrast for what the window used to be was mm-hmm. I remember 1998. Uh, 1997, 1998, when Titanic came out, we saw it, I don't know how many months into its run, but we did not see it at the beginning of its run, but we saw it as a family, and, mm-hmm. you know, just to see what, you know, go, go see what it was all about, and we liked it, of course, and, yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, but I just remember, like, the window for release of that being so long, like, we were just, you know, everyone's waiting for it to come out, and then Blockbuster finally had their ad out on it. And do you remember the ad, the Blockbuster ad for that? V- vaguely. Yeah, it was like, you know, there's a whole wall of Titanic VHSs <clears throat> and two employees kind of stalking, and then hear a throng of girls outside, like, in a rumbling, and then one of them, like, sprays, uh, uh, sprays Binaka into their mouth. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um... This. Yeah, but yeah, that was Titanic. Like, that was almost a whole year. Yeah, it was December from December nineteenth, uh, nineteen ninety seven to mid September nineteen ninety eight. Yes, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember it was late in the run because we saw it in the summer because our air conditioning was broken at the time. Mm-hmm. And and some movies have had even longer uh, ones. Jurassic Park had a really long window. Yeah, I let me check real quick when it what it was because this is interesting. I think I may have also referenced the Titanic release on the last cast too. Here's a window that I want everybody to think about. Jurassic Park came out June 10th, 1993. Uh-huh. It did not come to video until October 4th, 1994. So from September 93 to October 94? June. June? June 1993 to October 1994. That means they outright missed the the, uh, holiday season in in 1993. Wow. Can you imagine a, a movie that big missing the holiday season? Wow. And not even coming out on video? Not even coming out for an entire year. Because I remembered that. And I, I thought my memories were strong. Uh, now, Christmas movies will often have a year window still. I will say that. Yeah, because you can't really release a Christmas movie on video uh, in March. No. Uh, now, and if they do get a release in on video, you can look for the advertising campaign to be heavily changed. Uh, when uh, Harold and Kumar Christmas came out on video, they really underplayed the Christmas element for the video release. 
Which is funny because the movie itself is Christmas as hell. Yeah, and it's isn't it called? Isn't the movie even called a Harold and Kumar Christmas? Yes, it is. <laughs> also, it's an awesome movie. I I need to I, see all three of those. Honestly. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I've all been, three. Are, every once in a while, three. yeah. Every once in a while, I look on. Well, I no longer have access to most of the premium movie channels now because my parents have. Uh, like, with their permission, <laughs> uh-huh. that they gave me your password. Uh, but, yeah, they, they have unsubscribed. But I got myself HBO, like the the, yeah. the uh, HBO on-demand service. So I still have that. But, yeah, every once in a while I search to see if any of them have any of their Harold and Kumar movies. No luck so the, far. They're they're really good. Uh, they're really good. I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think where they are. But um, anyway... I, I just that's just it. The shrinking window has become such a tremendous loss, I think, to the point where some studios are and studios are trying to shrink it. That's why you're increasingly getting day and date digital releases for small films. I know Tucker and Dale versus Evil was a day and date digital release. Like you could rent it digitally the same day that it came out in theaters. And of course, it wasn't out in most markets. I went on ahead and saw it theatrically because one of the few markets they did release it in was Little Rock. No regrets on that one. Yeah, I keep thinking of the weird circumstances that uh, um, the interview was released. Yeah, the interview was very much, make no mistake, that was very much Hollywood's excuse to have a test of what they could get away with with the release. Yeah. I don't think it was wholly successful for them on any of the fronts that they released it on. No. Like, I... Because I think it was on Netflix, like, the month after it was supposed to come out yeah. in theater. And uh, that's how I saw it. And it was okay. It was it was, it was was funny enough. That was just it. It was. I think that might have been what hurt it was. It wasn't a good enough film to really make the test on. No. Nah, nah. It was just, you know, whipping up controversy for controversy's sake. And yeah. Yeah, that, that was their angle on it. Much and... more excited for the next Seth Rogen, James Franco movie. Oh, God, yes. 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 Oh my god. I have watched how, how many times I've watched that trailer. By the way, there's a movie I expected to go straight to like digital release and is instead getting a major theatrical push. I am still floored that we're major the theatrical disaster. push with maybe an Oscar season. Yeah, I'm shocked by how much the disaster artist is getting the push that it's getting. Um but apparently it's a crowd-pleasing film. The trailer is cracking everybody up. Amanda and I've showed it to so many people. The best part of that trailer is it leaves out the best part of that scene, which I think is intentional. You know what I'm talking it's about? Just, which one? What What would you consider? The best part of that scene is when he's all, like, uh, in the book anyway, is when, you know, Greg goes to talk to him, and he's like, oh, you know, it gets him all fired up. He's like, uh, you know what you need to do, and he, like, gives him the water bottle. He's like, yes, of course! And then uh, Gets all fired up, and then he's he's all gung ho to do the scene. And he starts doing the line, and he hits his head. Yeah, that we that we can almost guarantee to see in the movie. Um, they they only had so much to cut for the trailer. Uh, but yeah. plus it's an extra surprise, which I love when movies do that, especially that for so good. Yeah, especially for trailer heavy scenes, they leave out mm-hmm. the best part for you to discover. Yeah, but but anyway. One thing that we do have to talk about is the fact that, of course, you know, as we're talking about digital distribution, Netflix getting into digital distribution. Yes, that's interesting. 
Netflix, as far as I'm concerned so far, is a complete washout on the theatrical experience, on the distribution experience. I feel like if you're, yeah, I feel like if your movie gets picked up by Netflix, you can just kiss any attention that it's going to get goodbye, with one exception. Uh, I have heard a lot of good about uh, Bong Joon-ho's um, Okja, yes. however it's pronounced. Yes. That, ha- that got some buzz. Otherwise, have you noticed that every movie Netflix has acquired has just disappeared and died? Yeah. Even their much-vaunted Adam Sandler deal that everybody makes fun of, no one talks about those movies. No. Netflix... Kind of passes. Netflix can create TV shows. They can do that tremendously well. They can create outright pop culture phenomenon TV shows, as Stranger Things showed. They have no idea what they're doing in movies. I, I just they they're so lost on movies. Yeah, the like I saw the second like the more extended trailer for Death Note. It looks a little better than initial, but it's one of those things. It's like the characters are still not like L is L uh, is black. Yeah, L is black, and L and L bears no resemblance. He bears no resemblance, which sucks because L was the only thing I liked about Death Note. Yeah. L was the only thing I cared about with Death Note. The most interesting character. Which is, by the way, why the manga killed him off halfway through. I don't know. I don't I don't get a good feeling about this movie. This is not one that I'm excited about. No. Plus, you know, a, a live-action version does exist, and it fixes that. Like it's, it's Yes, I'm aware. I'm aware. That... Yeah, the story spread out over two movies, and they are incredible. Yeah, I'm, and that's just it. We don't, we don't need this. Um... I don't think Bright looks at all any good. That looks pathetic. Bright? Uh, yeah, it's the movie. Will Smith is a cop with an orc for a partner. Oh, actually, I did see. Things yeah, that doesn't. That. Look, that does not look good. Yeah, that looks horrible. Hello, Max Landis. I still hate you. Oh, that's who's doing that. Yeah, it's his script. It's, yeah, so right now I just want to say, Netflix, I know you're trying to get into movies. Y'all have got to do better, because right now Amazon is kicking your ass because Amazon is still committed to a theatrical distribution model. Yeah, yeah, I am seeing... I do, uh, I actually saw uh, the Amazon logo in front of... I forgot what movie, but it looked really good. And it's one of those things that took me aback. It's like, Amazon is producing yeah, Amazon's actually making movies. Amazon... You know, they actually came to play at the Oscars. Manchester by the Sea, which was theirs. Oh, yeah, that earned... was the one. I just saw that recently, by the way. Yeah, uh, that earned Best Actor and Best uh, uh, Original Screenplay at the Oscars. So, you know, they're getting in. They're getting in. But so you have that. That's one thing that's definitely proving a factor on the state of cinema right now is that these companies are trying to get involved. I don't think they're having the most success. And. You know, Amazon's doing a good job because they're trying to be a small art house distributor. They're not trying to greenlight major budget films. They're doing small, serious films. Mm-hmm. And I think they're doing a really good job. Um, Netflix, I just don't know what they're doing. I just can't figure them out. Yeah. But let's get back to the theatrical experience itself because, of course, we have to talk about one of the big innovations that's coming in. One that's almost inescapable and that I think is going to completely overtake the industry. Recliners. Yeah. that I The last two uh, AMC releases I went to, both Spider-Man and Baby Driver, had those uh, 
I think so. I think that's a standard for AMC now. Yeah. Um. Let's see. The uh, Cinemark in Little Rock, which used to be the Rave, which you've been to, uh, is recliner seats. Breckenridge Village, which is my standard theater, all recliner seats. Yeah. The River Ta- the Riverdale Ten over by my house, all recliner seats. I mean, it's just, and those are the three theaters that I go to predominantly, so they're all recliner seats. And with those is coming reserved seating. How do I feel about this? Well, first of all, my thoughts on recliner seats. I've heard some people argue that they hate them because they're a distraction. My response, bullshit. Bullshit. They're kind of supposed to be the opposite. They are the exact opposite. So the more it feels like you're sitting on a cloud... <laughs> like the less the less attention you can give to your seats and the more attention you can give to the movie. I love I love recliner seats because I can kick back, I can relax, I can move. When I when I went to see uh, Spider-Man, I was shifting in my seat a lot because I was engaged with the movie and it was kind of how I react. I was leaning forward. Um I like being able to put my seat up and relax. Yeah, and with Reserve seating, I have mixed feeling on that, because it was Spider-Man, I went to see, like, I don't think I told you this, there was, like, an issue with the seating. Yes, you did. You I, did. Did I? Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's, uh, there's an issue with the seating, and I went to see it with two friends, and the computer, like, switched some, like, my seat with somebody else's. Yeah, and there was, the issue kind of came up at the theater with the other guy, because he was just as confused as we were, but, you know, it was fine. But aside from that, that does bring up a point of contention for doing that kind of thing. Because what if, say, you go, you buy your ticket to go see a movie and you want to add people, uh, but the seats to the right and left of you are now taken? Like, what do you do? Like, you, there's really no easy way around that. There isn't. It, it's a tricky situation. I, I am. I have. I have somewhat mixed feelings about it. Overall, I like reserved seating because it is... You can choose your perfect seat. Yeah. What it basically does is it induces you to make sure that you get your seat, your tickets bought early. It's a strong motivator. For instance, I'm going to a movie on the 14th, and I've already got my seats. Why? Because I don't want it to sell out and or make it so I have to get nosebleed seats. What movie? I, I don't... Well, we're going to get to that one. We're going to get to that one in a moment. But that is one thing that I, I, I feel like the reserved seating. I like it. it. It does formalize the experience, even if it is kind of silly when I go in and reserve my seat for a completely empty theater, <laughs> which I had to do recently when I went to see Captain Underpants. Oh, yeah. I was the only person in the theater oh. and I still reserved my seat. For the record, I got the best seat in the house because I reserved my seats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was still kind of fun, and it was nice. I mean, plus I we've talked about the uh, being the only person uh, in a theater experience, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if we haven't, that is a strange and weird and kind of wonderful thing. It is, especially it, when, it feels like they're playing it just for you because they really are. Especially when it's a movie that's a strange movie to be seeing at that time of night or day. Because I've had it be that I've go would go to see incredibly raunchy R-rated comedies at 10 a.m. and be the only person in the theater. <laughs> um, I soloed for Zach and Mary make a porno and uh, Step Brothers, for example. I was the only person in those theaters, uh, and I saw those extremely early in the morning. Or 
uh, in the instance like late at night going to see Ponyo, and I was the only person in that theater. And you know what? Having a private audience to watch a Miyazaki movie is awesome. Yeah. It is indescribably awesome, let me tell you. Especially because, again, it was Ponyo. It was an awesome movie. It was a really good movie. I, I, I got a lot out of that experience. So I'm kind of of mixed uh, opinions about the whole reserved seating thing, but it's, it is the way of the future. And on that note of the way of the future, let's quickly jump to what really inspired us to do this cast, which is there's a company out there that I think is pointing to the way of, the fu- of what the cinematic experience is going to be. Now, a lot has been made about, okay, well, what about China's money that's coming into American cinemas? You know, you know what? That's a bubble that's burst already. That's a bubble that's burst already. Yes. Hollywood cannot count on China. They're not making movies for Chinese audiences because they're realizing, you know, that that's already over. Hollywood has already realized, hey, there's no money in this. But there is a but there is something that I do think is the way of the future, and it's an important thing to discuss. Let's talk about Fathom Events because yeah. I think they might be the most important uh, distributor going today. I think I've only officially been to one. But it was great. Uh, I've been to several. Yeah. I went to... I should have I should have been to more Rift Tracks ones, especially when they did The Room. The one I went to see was uh, Return of the Cape Crusaders. Yeah. Um, and that's where... I'm going to go see Batman and Harley Quinn in a couple of weeks. Um, I've already got my ticket. I'm looking forward to that. Typically, you know, for the direct-to-video ones, like that's a, it's two nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is an actual like event. Yeah, yeah. They they that that's just it. They they, and that's the most is they'll do two nights. They usually it's just one. And like in the case of Batman and Harley Quinn, it's one showing with no encores. Uh, one showing, no encores. The next day, the movie hits digital. And I, it's an interesting experience that they're doing with these. Um, I've been to, um, I went to see the Sherlock Christmas special. Uh, at at a. Uh, packed house theater in Conway. Now they had shown this movie the night before and it had already played on PBS, but Amanda and I went to see this thing that's freely available. You could watch it legally on the PBS app for free. And we paid premium ticket prices to go see it in Conway on a big screen. I really want to stress that I think fathom might be pointing the way to what theatrical distribution is going to look like increasingly. Yeah. Because Fathom packs people in. These movies, they pack people in with just a few showings, again, limited showings. Uh, They've been doing re-release screenings, which is like they showed the 20th anniversary showings of movies like Fifth Element, got a 20th anniversary re-release recently through them. They played that a couple of times. Um, Space Jam got one. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Well, 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 one of those deserved it. Yeah. I think also, uh, uh, I lied. I've been to a couple, I guess. Uh, I, I think that if it wasn't Fathom, it was certainly along the lines of that, uh, I think that the Equestrian, the first two Equestrian Girls movies got... They're pretty much the, they're pretty much the distributors yeah, for limited run theatrical events, so probably that's just it. They're taking movies that would not tr- 
movies, events, performances, like they'll put concerts out, they'll put Speaking lectures. Of, I like when the My Little Pony movie comes out, like which is getting a wide release because it's a proper, you know, it's movie. Lionsgate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go to Alamo Draft House for that one. <laughs> just for the Why fun not? of it. Just, you know, to see, also to see, yeah, imbibe some alcohol <laughs> and to see what they put for the pre-show on that. Cause yeah. I'm curious. Th- that, th- that's the thing. I, uh, you know, getting, yeah, that, that's cool. I, I, I really think that these limited run events are brilliant because instead of wasting all that money on a broad theatrical release for something that isn't going to hold the audience, you can give people a chance to have the theatrical experience, but have it just targeted to a small number. There's not a huge demographic that's going to want to go see a direct video animated movie in the theaters. But hey, I happen to belong to that demographic, so I'm taking a night off work to go see it. Yeah. You know, that's what this is. This is a chance to really get these movies done right, to get this experience done right. And I think it's a really cool idea. I think that doing these limited run releases, it reinforces that the theatrical experience still matters, but it removes the burden of having to make it for everybody all the time. Like, for instance, Equestria Girls could have never played a seven-day-a-week release schedule. No. It wouldn't no. have sold. No one would no. have gone. But with just the one, you know, you have, like, the diehard fans, uh, and it does make money. And and they do they do charge a premium ticket price. Like, I'm paying $16 to go see this movie. I don't think I quite paid a pay- premium price for, but, like, either of the Equestria Girls movies, but... But yeah, I at least pay ten bucks. Yeah, I'm paying like because let's see, because there's a fourteen dollar base price plus I had to pay two dollars to Fandango. So you know, but I but 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 I think it's an interesting idea, and I think that that kind of targeted run, I think you're going to see that coming more often with movies. Um, already you've seen some people do it. Kevin Smith has released a couple of his movies through Fathom Events. Yeah. He's done. Uh, he did Red State as a Fathom. Uh, oh, did he really? Yes, he uh, did. He did. Yeah, that was well. That was the first one that they did, kind of with their independent. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Left Behind, uh, the Next Generation, that was released. Uh, Christian movies are doing that a lot. Let me tell you, like one-time showings. Again, I think it's an interesting model. Of you get the movie out for the limited number of people that are going to go see it. And you don't waste your money on a huge ad campaign. I I think it's an interesting model. And I think that that may be where you start to see a few more movies like this. I think some of your mid-range films that don't have the broadest audience, you're going to see that more and more. I hope Warner Brothers continues to do this. This will be the third of their direct-to-video animated movies that they've, well, kind of made not a direct-to-video animated movie. And I think that, which I think is awesome. I think it's great that they're doing that. Uh, Again, that's, what was the other one? Don't make me say it. Ah, uh, um, let me guess. Oh. It was, yeah, it was the killing joke. Oh. Which kills me because there are so many of these that, like, say they'd done that for The Dark Knight Returns. Like, combined those two into one movie you know, edited them together into one movie, which they can do very easily. I've watched them back to back as one film. Say they'd done that one as a, 
as a screening, that would have been amazing. That would have been great. That's a great looking movie. It would have, it's a good movie with a good story, good animation, everything good about that one. I, I, I really loved The Dark Knight Returns, actually. Yeah. I still, I still haven't seen part two. Uh, part, uh, part two is really where you, where the strength pays off. Uh, it should have never been cut into two movies. It should have always been one movie. It's, yeah, it's, one, it's a, one full length movie instead of two shortened movies. Yeah. It's a stellar film. I was really pleased with it. Uh, Peter Weller was excellent as Batman. Um, but again, I think that that's what's interesting is I think that you're going to see that evolution that I don't think it's inconceivable that in the future you're going to see multiplexes and maybe three of the movies that you're going to see are those one night wonders on any given night. I think you're going to see more and more of these. I think you're going to see more and more. I think you're going to see more sports presentations on the big screen. I think you're going to see more unconventional movies playing on the big screen because the theatrical experience still matters. The communal experience still matters, but there is a, there is a shift. There is a growth. Um, I will say if Hollywood, I don't think that it's necessarily that, you know, everything has to be a tent pole. As always, I want to stop and praise Jason Bloom's work at Bloom house on keeping the small budget film going. Yes. And for helping to resurrect Shyamalan's career. Yeah, well, he's been the best thing ever to happen to Shyamalan. Because Shyamalan finally has an editor he'll listen to. He finally has someone who will step in and say, don't do that. Yes. Bloom has been just wonderful as a, an aide to Shyamalan. Uh, Split is, I that was, that was one that I saw theatrically. Very low budget. There is still a market for small budget films on the big screen because those... Because Get Out was a tremendous box office hit that performed far above expectations. Moonlight even did pretty well, all things considered, for a film of its budget. There's still an audience for small-budget films on the big screen. Let's, let's be clear about this. There is still an audience. But I don't know. I, I don't know where I see cinema going. Yeah, it's going it's interesting places. I think, like I said to you off-cast... Um, you know, I've seen a lot of, not quite alarmist, but kind of borderline uh, articles on, uh, like, where cinema's going to go. Like, the f like basically, it's going to, like, disappear because of all these, you know, because of the new methods of distribution. But no, it hasn't. And uh, I think there's something to that, because people like the, like, it's familiar, yes, but people do like, like, the, uh, the experience of going, like getting out of the house, going, seeing a movie with a group on a big screen. There's just something magical about it. That's why I'm excited to do this with uh, Batman and Harley Quinn. It's not that I think that that's going to be all that good of a movie. I think it's going to probably just be okay. But it's going to be an amazing experience going and watching it in a crowd, in a nice theater, sitting in a good, comfortable seat with good sound and good picture. Yeah. I... I think that the experience is evolving. I think the kinds of movies that are getting made are evolving. But if you think that's a bad thing, then you have to remember, it's never been that there's been a status quo of this kind of movie. It's always changed. It's always evolved. It's always grown. Why, should, why do we expect cinema to stay static when now when it never has in the past? One of the things we still haven't quite touched on is you know, the uh, movies this summer that did well. Like, what do they have in common? Quality. Quality, exactly. Like Baby Driver, I think you mentioned uh, before 
like from your views before I saw it was like it's it's pretty experimental in mm-hmm. nature and it really is and it pays off. And it but audiences talked about it. Audiences responded to it. They responded to get out. They responded to split. They've responded to Girls Trip because it fed an audience that wasn't being served. Hmm, I haven't heard of that one. That's a, uh, a a comedy targeted at uh, black women. Oh, nice. Good. And you know what? It's making money. They didn't respond to Baywatch or Pirates of the Caribbean because we, we've been there. We've done that. We don't need that anymore. Um, they responded to Wonder Woman because it was a strong run-through of the formula. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't say Wonder Woman did anything particularly new. It just no. did what it did well, and audiences responded to that. Let's see. They responded to um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 because it took everything the first one did right and kept doing it. Mm-hmm. And even more so. Well, I'll, I'll tell you another movie that's done extremely well against expectations. Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, audiences took kindly to Christopher Nolan going in and doing a war movie that held their attention. Nolan did something different and unexpected, and audiences responded to that. It doesn't hurt to have a strong authorial voice. I think that audiences take to that. Audiences thrive on strong authorial voices, and and that is one thing that I am noticing. What have all of these movies that we've listed? Um, arguably, you might could argue you, you might could say that Wonder Woman is more of a committee film, but Patty Jenkins still had a pretty powerful hand on that film. Um, as was much reported, and did a phenomenal job on it. Let's not underplay her uh, her work that she did on it. Um, and then you've got, but you know, again, Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn, Split, Shyamalan, Jordan Peele on Get Out, yes. Edgar Wright on Baby Driver. Yes. Audiences respond to strong authorial voices. Meanwhile, who do you point to for the mummy, except Studio Bean Counters? Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, for the record, it didn't quite perform to expectations, probably because it was too dark. War for the Planet of the Apes, I've heard Matt Reeves completely put his fingerprints on it. Good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That one I just heard was too dark to sell to a mainstream audience, and that's fine. I bet, that's fine. yeah. It's, no, you've seen, you've seen uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's wonderful. That's I still I've only seen it once, but I need to see it again. But it's just one of those things where it's not a movie you want to watch again. Actually, that's true. Yeah, it's great. It's it is, great. It's wonderful. But it's it's just like the entire film. You know, you know, it's not going to end well because these are pre- these are prequels. Well, I'll point to another movie that that uh, has a really strong authorial voice. Um, mm-hmm. Logan. Yeah. Logan from earlier this year was completely James Mangold's film because uh, he worked with two other writers on it, but it was his story. He co-wrote it. That's an intense and brutal film, too. That's a movie that, when it's over, you don't feel good. No, you do You not. don't feel good. But it's such a distinct film, and I'm one that I'm glad we got. I, can, by the way, can we agree that if they had titled the movie How It Ended, no, it would have shocked nobody? Right. Like if they had called the movie and we can feel and you can feel free to bleep me as I say this. Mm-hmm. But if they had called the movie, <laughs> would it have cha- would anybody have been shocked? Mm, probably not. No, that's such a good movie. That's such a good movie. Again, <laughs> and the thing is, is that movies like Logan, 
got people out of the house. Logan didn't get people out of the house because, hey, R-rated Wolverine movie. It got people out of the house because, hey, serious Wolverine movie. Yeah, I think the success of Deadpool uh, also, for like, I think it was always going to be R-rated, but it showed them that uh, an R-rated superhero movie could work for them. Yeah, and that's just it. Take chances. But what do I think, again, what do I think will get people... What do I think will get asses into seats? Mm-hmm. Make a good movie. Because at yeah. the end of the day, you can come up with all your neat little gimmicks. You can come up with all your seats. You can come up with all your laser projection, all you want. At the end of the day, a good movie will get people into theaters. Um, By the way, do you know the box office numbers on the Emoji movie? It did $25 million on its opening weekend. That's not great, but that's not... That's not good or great. That's no. not. It's it's not good or bad. It's it is. It had. Uh, here's the thing. It was the only kids movie in the market. Uh, for that weekend. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It had the market all to itself. Of course it would. It's that's one of those things. It's like I really hope that's not enough for them to get a sequel. It doesn't take much. I don't think that. I don't. Uh, the thing is, I see this one having a massive drop off that kids movies don't usually have. Um, like it had really low cinema scores. Mm-hmm. Sadly, the other movie that had really low cinema scores, uh, that was a kid's movie this year was captain underpants, Aww. which was good. Aww. I really want people to discover that one because they took so many chances on it. It's so boldly experimental throughout that I kind of can't believe that that it that the studio even allowed it to happen. Wow. It's that kind of movie. There is there's a sequence in that movie that is one of the most just absolutely absurd, amazing things I've ever seen in a kid's movie. And I love it. So hmm. God, I recommend that one when it comes to video so hard. But again, that's that's kind of my point that I've got to make on cinema right now is again, if the movie is good Audiences will go. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, by the way, a prime example of that is the first John Wick was a mediocre performer in theaters and then a huge performer on video. Come to find out, the second John Wick was a huge performer both places. Why? Yeah. Because the movie was good. Audiences went. Yes. And side note, we are probably due to do a at least a mini-sode on the – well, we're not going to do anything on the John Wick movies because we've already kind of covered them. Yeah. But, man, John Wick 2 was so good. Oh, it was. And it promises, uh, as oh good boy. as it was, it promises an even better third movie. That movie promises one hell of a third movie. Um, So, again, that's kind of our thoughts on it, is if the movie's, you know, that's what I've got to say about the state of cinema, is it really is, as always, dependent on the con- content. Make a good movie, audiences will go. Make a bad movie, why would you expect them not to? Why would you expect them to go? Yeah. All the all the marketing in the world ain't gonna get asses in seats if the movie isn't doesn't look good. So yeah. I think we pretty well covered it. Yep. And I was able to do it all while fathering. So <laughs> Yes. Oh being a daddy. Little piglet, what secrets do you hide? <laughs> She's yeah. so cute. <laughs> but anyway, so we will check in with y'all next time. Um, mm-hmm. Trouble along. See you later, y'all. The color of infinity inside an empty glass.
I'm squinting my eyes. 